It is uh, a real privilege uh, to speak with you this morning, and I'll get right into it. Um, I have a lot of ground to cover. You may feel like um, you're taking a drink out of a fire hydrant. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it'll blow your lips off. It Sometimes it's not exactly pleasant, but I have two goals this morning. And one is to urge you to use the sufficient word sufficiently. And the other one is to give you a template uh, for leading others and yourselves to repentance as an illustration of how to use a word sufficiently for correction. And if you'll take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians 7, I'll get there in a minute, but I want to begin with a very familiar passage to us, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for four functions, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I would submit to you that um, many, many, many men in the ministry uh, do a wonderful job of teaching and reproof, but are woefully adequate in helping people correct and discipling them into instruction in righteousness. And I would submit to you that that's only half of what God intends us to do with his word. And we're really good at teaching, for example, about um, sex outside of a heterosexual marriage. Um, and we can teach and we can reprove about that. But then it's a whole different ballgame when somebody's sitting in our office who is a repentant homosexual or, or a sex offender or um, a sex addict or somebody who is into pornography. We can teach and reprove, but we have no clue what to do to help this person correct the major issues that are going on in his life as a result of his sin, and then instruct him in righteousness. And I would also submit to you that that's not just the function of a biblical counselor. Um, That is the function for 2 Timothy, for the man of God, in order to equip people for every good work. And we may be, um, we may have, uh, we, we can teach and reprove about abortion and why it is wrong, but it's a whole other thing to sit across the desk in your office or across the uh, kitchen table, you and your wife dealing with a woman who's had an abortion and has a real struggle every time Mother's Day comes around every year or every anniversary date of her abortion. Do we know how to skillfully use the sufficient word to help her with correction? And, in, and disciple her in instruction and in righteousness so that she faces those hard times and the recurring regret and the hurt and the hardship that comes when she thinks about this. And, and again, I would submit to you, this is not the function of biblical counselors only. This was given to the man of God. And my, my goal is to urge you to a call to arms and to action. Take the doctrine and use it for teaching and reproof. But when you're sitting in classes, be alert that the scriptures are full of means of correction and instruction in righteousness. And we must become skillful at that as well. Um, So we have those four functions in the word. Teaching, which is showing us what is right. 
and reproving, showing us what is wrong. And the one I want to concentrate on today and give you an example of is correct. How, show how to make the wrongs right. And then instruct in righteousness, show how to stay right. Um, it's one thing, we, you know, we, we, can't, we can't be content with somebody, let's say, who comes down the aisle or comes to our office, says, Pastor, you know, I repent of this. And, and we say, well, um, great brother, uh, now you need to grow in the Lord. So read your Bible every day and, and pray and come to church and serve in some way here in the church and uh, tithe, and uh, God bless you. Well, that's wonderful. That is, not, that is not biblical correction and instruction and righteousness. It's not sufficient to help this person turn around and stay right. Um, when we're dealing with people, in, in, including ourselves, uh, who have long-standing sin patterns, uh, there are several things that we need to understand are uh, are going on. Long-standing sin patterns have become habitual, and every time the, this 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 man is um, discouraged about something or, uh, or or tired, he runs to his porn for comfort and release, and and it becomes a pattern. This is how he responds to those temptations. Uh, and, and long-standing sin patterns mask our motives. What is it that we wanted in all of this? And as you work through, let's say if you were to use this, uh, this uh, form that, I, that I've given you, this handout, uh, as you go through it with somebody, and, and I, I take weeks to go through a man in this process, uh, weeks and sometimes a couple of months or more, um, you're going you're gonna to uncover all kinds of desires that this man has, and often it's just a desire for respect, and that's, he's, he's, and, or a desire to be in control, or a desire to be, to be appreciated and acknowledged, or a desire for raw pleasure. There can be all kinds of things, but every man is tempted, James says, when he's drawn away of his own strong desires and enticed. So if I'm going to help him long-term and instruct him in righteousness, I'm going to have to uncover what are the James 1.14 strong desires that are pulling them in, in his heart, pulling him uh, back into the sin all the time? Um, long-standing sin patterns desensitize our conscience before God. And I find that when I'm working with a man, I uh, recently went through this with several couples. Uh, in two of those cases, the man, uh, had, uh, the wife had told him to get out of the house. Because he was, she was afraid of uh, physical danger for her and the children. And uh, worked with him for three months while he was out of the house. And it wasn't. It, it took about three weeks to get him to the point where he even was acknowledging God's standard had been violated. His conscience was so uh, was so callous because he's he justified himself. Well, I'm not getting this and there. Everything would be fine if everybody would just do what I want. And, and, and his conscience becomes dull. And it's the word of God that God's spirit uses to quicken the conscience. And uh, longstanding problems, hardness to the effects of our sin upon others. He, the, these men are not thinking about the, the, the fear they're injecting into the lives of their children and wives, or the, the spiritual stumbling blocks they are to them, the spiritual battles their family members have to fight that they wouldn't have to fight if dad wasn't acting this way. 
And long-standing sin patterns change our character and our personality. And they deceive us into thinking that we're, what we're doing is reasonable and right. And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us can say, you know, done there, been there, got the T-shirt. Um, I know what that is. And, and Paul says our problems are common to man. So I want us to um, look at the correction of repentance. And um, I want to I, I jump to 2 Corinthians 7 here, where Paul do, does some extensive work. And um, I'm, I'm not going to exegete this passage, but, but I want you to think about something. Paul lists several characteristics that were true of these people. I do not think that this church got together and wrote Paul a letter and said, here are the things we've learned, Paul. Uh, And put together this wonderful list that Paul said, you know, it's really good, and God inspired it to be put in the Word. I I don't think that's what happened. Titus had just visited this church and perhaps had long conversations with these people. And perhaps they had been under great conviction and had questions they needed to ask Titus or maybe under the direction of their shepherd, they have come to some major conclusions about them as a church. And and Titus returns to Paul with the testimony, what's going on in this church? And Paul reduces it to these phrases. But what I'm trying to illustrate is I, I I would surmise that there were long, lengthy conversations that took place before Titus reports this to Paul. Now, that's extra biblical. I can't say that. But I doubt that they just, on their own, uh, came up with this long list. This is Paul's summary of what he learned from Timothy about the response of these men and women in this church. So with that in mind, I want to read it. 2 Corinthians 7 Verse 5, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, and what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in this matter. And I'll I'll leave off reading at that point. Um, I I want to take some time to walk through this handout with you, um, not as um, a, a hidebound process, but 
just just a, a path of of um, actions um, that I've put together that have helped walk men through reconciliation with their families. Repentance is not about us finally owning up to it so we can get this off our chest and get some relief and go on with life. That's not what repentance is. Uh, Although it does bring wonderful relief. And it does help us move forward. But repentance is for the purpose of reconciliation. Reconciliation with God. Reconciliation with the people we have wronged. I, I, I was a, a rebel in high school and um, came here to Bob Jones because I'd promised my parents in a weak moment I'd go to a Christian college for a year. You know, and some of you, that may have been the case uh, with your undergrad work. And God began really working in my heart my freshman year. And sometime along this journey, I don't remember what, what uh, year it was, a uh, long time ago, dirt was new back then. Um, I had, it was a long time ago. But I, I remember sitting down and saying, God, I, I've got to be right with you and other people, no matter what it costs. And I took a legal pad, eight and a half by 11, and filled it with three pages of things I had to face up to with people, things I had stolen things I had, people I had betrayed, and wrongs I had done, and, and began working through that process. One of the things I did a lot of was stealing, and uh, I remember standing in Bob Jones' bookstore saying, stealing, here's a, this is a cakewalk, <laughs> you know, no security cameras back in that day, and, uh, and I thought, and then I thought, no, 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 I... I had already contacted through mail, email, and um, cell phones hadn't been invented. And I had written letters to businesses in town and my school and others I had wronged and asked forgiveness and offered to pay restitution. And, and uh, getting that list checked off. And the thing is, as I started doing that, I, there was... Have you ever been to a physical therapist for a sports injury, you know, and he's digging his knuckles into that muscle where that trigger point is? It it hurts good, you know. God's conviction hurts good. It hurts, but you know it's good. I need this. There's a cleansing going on here. I love what God is doing, but it hurts to face it. But it's a wonderful cleansing. And as I, as I worked through that list, God kept adding to it. You know, I, think, I thought, three pages and I'm done. Three creeps into more, you know. And I, I remember one time thinking, God, I, I, don't, I don't see anybody else troubled about this stuff you're convicting me about. Why are you, why are you messing with me in this way? I said that reverently, of course. But... And then I read a track I picked up in a church lobby called Others May, You Cannot just changed the way I thought about that. If I'm the servant of the living God, he can ask me to do whatever he wants, even if he asks no other servant in his vineyard to do that. He's, he's the master. I'm the servant. I do what he says. And then working with many, many uh, men, uh, some seminary students with problems in their marriage or problems with pornography, 
uh, and helping them walk through a process that really begin, really does some correction. And correction there means to put it back the way it was. It's like being tipped over in a canoe, and you try to right that canoe and get all the water out of it you can. It's not the way it was when it was dry, but it, it's, it's working. That's what this word means. You put it back together again as closely as you can to the way it should be. And, and, and reconciliation means, in, in most cases, in biblical reconciliation, the relationship actually is better than it was before because of what God has done. So I, I just want to quickly walk through these, uh, this, this handout. I'm not going to read every part of it for you. But I just want you to get a flavor that if we're going to help people with long-standing sin problems and patterns to be reconciled with the people that they have hurt in the wake of their destruction, then maybe these things will help you. Um, the first one, make a thorough list of your sins against God and against others. That is your spouse, your children, your boss. Um, and I say here, pay special attention to accusations that they have made against you. When, when we're sinning, my mom and dad made all kinds of accusations, and most of them were true, some of them weren't, but I blew them all off. So if you, if you really want to, to, to do some thorough analysis, pay attention to what your wife, your parents, your roommate, they're making accusations. There are things that are troubling them about the way we are living. And, and, and watch for things they say like, you never, or you always, or why don't you? Th- these kinds of things. These are the things that they remember about you. And those are the things we need to consider. This, these might be what God is dealing with me about. Uh, these often reveal areas where they believe you have wronged them. List also sins God is convicting you about as you sincerely ask him to do a thorough house cleaning in your heart. And, and I, I have the men I'm working with write out all of these. Uh, by the time we get to the end, he's got about an eight or ten page document that he's actually reading to his wife in effort to, to reconcile. Um, uh, maybe I will read some more details here. The second paragraph says, maintain a running list. As I said, God kept adding to my list. Maintaining a running list and categorize the offenses under broader headings. A, a lot of the things that we get convicted about are could be categorized as sins of the tongue or sins of lording it over others. I found that very common in these relationships I'm dealing with with marriages. Or sins of dishonesty, sins of slander and gossip, sins of anger, sins of discontent and complaining, sins of neglect of God and his word, and so forth. Continue to add to this list as God convicts you further or as others bring up additional wrongs you've committed against them. Make these lists detailed and explicit. I don't mean pornographic, but explicit. We, sin, we don't sin in generalities, man. We sin in specific. People don't, memor- people don't remember the generalities of how we have hurt them. They, they remember the words we said. And I have them write down, in many cases, the wife has told uh, my wife the, the, the names he has called her, the slurs, the filthy language he's used with her. And I say, I want you to write those down. I want him putting it in black and white for his own conscience' sake. And I have him write those things out. And um, because... 
you sinned against God and others with specific details. In 1 John 1, 9, confess means to state your offense in terms the, wrong party, uh, the wronged party would agree with. And they would agree with that you said those things. Number two, find scripture passages. We have violated the laws of God. A lot of guys come, and, 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 and by the way, this is what, uh, there's a young man coming to our uh, addiction ministry who just got out of prison uh, about two months ago. He's got a young family, a couple of little kids, preschool kids. His wife is unsaved. And he has come back to her a different man and, and going to her. She, she is now saying, I, 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 I hear what you're telling me about your belief in God. And I want what you want because you're different. I'm not ready for it yet, but I want what you have. But, but it's, it's not just coming back home and saying, sorry, I left you and I was in prison for seven, the last seven years or five years or whatever it was. And, um, you know, life must have been a little bit tough while I was gone. I'm back now. Here we go. This will not fly. Number two, find scripture passages that show that your sin against others was more importantly a sin against God because you violated his word. God has words to say about deception. God has words to say about immoral thoughts. God has words to say about the way, about the names we call people. He has, he has things to say about all of these things. So, so it can't be just that, you know, well, I messed up and I realized that and it was horrible what I did. I, I, need, I, I want myself and I want the men I work with to know what God has said about these things. List references for each category of offense, like sins of tongues, sins of, of, of um, deception, so forth. <clears throat> Even if you don't, uh, excuse me, uh, list references for each category of offense. Pray that God will expose your sin and compare yourself with the virtue lists in the sermons of Jesus for God's standards. By the way, Christian maturity, Christ-likeness is measured in virtues in the Bible. When we're to putting on the ways of the new man, that's described for us in Scripture in virtues. And we need, we need, so I, I want to use the virtue list. First, uh, um, Matthew 5 to 7, and James 3, the tongue, the wise, uh, the wise person, and uh, of course, the fruit of the Spirit, and Peter's essential virtues, and uh, 1 Corinthians 15, love chapter. Um, boy, you know, a person who has all those, he's mature. This is what we're aiming at. You don't even have to tell this guy how to behave differently. If this is what's going on in his life, this is, these are the virtues, the character he's developing of Jesus. He knows what to do. Number, number, three, number three and four, I want him to survey the damage that he's done from the perspective of the onlookers, both God and the other people. Consider and be able to describe the hurt you cause God and others by your offenses. Hurt is what others remember more than anything else about your offenses. Even if you don't know the exact nature of the hurt, you must show that you have thought about the possibilities of what they must have felt and must have thought when you sinned against them. 
Otherwise, they will have a hard time believing your sincerity when you ask forgiveness. When a man, I tell you the most exciting thing is, is after working with two of these men that have been out of the house for two, three months, and finally they worked through this. God just overhauled their hearts. We started dealing with the desires that drive them and, and the lies they were believing. And for my wife and me to sit across the table from this couple, for the first time they're together, and he reads this six, eight, ten-page document. And you watch her face just begin to light up with hope and just almost jump into his lap when he says, will you forgive me? And when he's gone through this process and he can articulate to her that to her, she's thinking, he gets it. He really gets it. And that gives her a lot of hope. But then we've got a lot of work to do to help him and disciple him in instruction and righteousness. He can undo this very quickly. He's been isolated all by himself and away from all the pressures of family and marriage. And now he's going back into that. Somebody's got to come alongside him on a regular basis and come alongside the wife and say, how are things going? That's instruction in righteousness. And men, men, I'm saying we're not handling the sufficient word sufficiently by just using doctrine and reproof. We must know how to correct and instruct in righteousness if we're going to thoroughly equip people for every good work. And that's not just a counselor's job. That's the job of every minister of the gospel. And I submit to you that I think every ordination council ought to give guys case studies just like these and say, how would you help? Our ordination councils just test their doctrine and see if they reprove the right things. We're leaving half of the word untouched. Does this man really know how to minister the word in a way that corrects the wrongs and helps them become right and instructs them in righteousness, disciples them long-term that they can keep it right? Does he know how to use the word? I think ordination councils ought to include that. Just saying. Number four, also a survey of the damage List the possible spiritual battles you made others face because you were not walking with God. Were your actions stumbling blocks in their lives? Were they tempted to sin in some way because you sinned against them? They're tempted to anger and bitterness and hatred and despair or hopelessness. Tempted to act out, isolate, self-medicate, be violent. The children left in the wake of these kinds of things deal with a lot of problems. And and some of you may have experienced those things in your home. You know what it's like. And I want these men to, to see the hurt they've caused, but also the spiritual battles they cause other people to face. Number five, express godly sorrow to God. We're not talking to the spouse yet. We've got work to do. And I'm, I'm talking about ex- extreme cases here where there's dem- the possibility of domestic violence, about not talking to the spouse, but express godly sorrow to God over your sin and its effects upon him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
the chastening of our peace was upon him and with his stripes. He bore all of that. We, we have wronged our God. Be prepared to describe your grief at the hurt you've caused others, not only God, but others, and, and, and grief at the spiritual battles you caused others to face when you sin. This is what you do before God. This is not a time to bring up the sins of the other person. <laughs> I was angry when you, uh, with you when you were disrespectful to me. Rather, put the focus on your own sin, when you're, um, particularly when you're dealing with God here, but the other person eventually. God has convicted me that in that conversation we had yesterday, I was sinfully angry with you. Please forgive me. Number six, repent of these matters before God. Repentance means that you've changed your mind about how you acted. You no longer think it's okay, nor do you justify it. And you've turned away from those sins with the intention never to repeat them again. We all know we may, but I don't want to. Number seven, worship God. Praise him for his loving kindness and his tender mercies. I remember when I got right with God, I I read Romans 2, where he says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. I crumbled in repentance to a whole new level when God opened my eyes to that verse. I remember standing on that bridge of nations thinking, Jim Berg and Bob Jones, those two names don't even belong in the same sentence. It's an oxymoron like Microsoft works. You can't put those two together, you know? And I remember thinking, there's only one reason why I'm at Bob Jones University instead of jail. There's a God who's been good to me. I can't betray him. You worship God. Number eight, here's the, and this is what you're working toward the whole time. Write out exactly what you're going to say to the one you offended and check it with your counselor, your pastor, before you ask forgiveness. Boy, people can really mess things up when they try to ask forgiveness. They can be so sloppy about that, they create more trouble than they are solving. Wrongly handled, these confessions can bring more offense into the relationship. When writing out your confession, state the offense. And I, this is kind of a long, involved sentence. But state your offense. That is, I was wrong when I blank. And there may be 10 or 12 of those statements we're dealing with. And, and write out the passages you violated. God has shown me that blank. And write out your understanding of the hurt you caused. I'm quite sure that my sin made you feel this way. And write out your understanding of the possible spiritual battles you triggered for the other person. Uh, For example, it's very likely that when I sinned against you, you were tempted to. And write out your grief over what you did to the person and then ask forgiveness for this offense. Will you forgive me? And I've just given you some examples here. Uh, Number nine is get help about how to make thorough biblical change. That's now instruction in righteousness. Got behind in the slides here. Um, t- the, the bottom statement there on the slide, taking someone through this process will not only teach him what is right, reprove him where he's wrong, teach him how to correct his ways, but also expose where he needs instruction and righteousness in order to stay right in the future. Instruction and righteousness often requires extensive discipleship aimed at replacing the lies of self-deception with truth through a renewed mind, and with practices that develop the virtues and the actions of a Christ-like character. How, how must his view of God change? 
How must his view of his spouse change? How must his view of himself change? And a lot of that has been uncovered as we've gone through this process. Um, Some examples of possible categories. I'd say, here's what I want your worksheet to look like as we work through this. Uh, let's, Let's say you're dealing with sins of the tongue. These are just examples. And that's gossip, cutting words, slander, boasting, arrogance, profanity, deception. So... Maybe the first statement in that category is, I sinned against John when I sarcastically cut him down by saying, and then list the actual words you used. And then part of that outline, just to kind of abbreviate what I've talked to you about before, what, what are the scriptures that you violated? That needs to be part of this conversation, part of, part of this statement. The, the hurts you have caused, or at least think you may have caused, the spiritual stumbling blocks you created for others, what grieves you about your sin, and then your confession statement about that. And then go on to the next um, sin of the tongue. It, it may not be, it may be a lying. It may be uh, something else. But I, I want them working to say, boy, that takes a long time. You're right. It's taken a long time to build up this stuff. And this is what the, the, the wife is remembering. And, all, and the children are remembering and play through in their heads again and again and again that conversation as justification for why it's okay them to do this. Point B, maybe their sins of immorality, pornography, illicit sex, texting, sexually suggestive, touching and talk. I, I sinned against my wife, my parents, when I indulge in pornography, the scriptures you violated, and so forth. Uh, point, uh, it should be point C there, sins of lording it over others. Bullying, harshness, mistreatment, abusive, harassment. Some of us, not not us, but there are plenty of other folks who live in dorms who bully their roommates. Not not, not any, nobody here, but but are, are are insist that they do it our way, and and get pretty pushy about it. That, yeah, it's really just called bullying. What scriptures have I violated about? esteeming others better than myself. About every man, look not on his own things, but the things of others. What about all those one another passages that are being violated here? And, and, and the last point, sins of, and they may be theft, anger, violence, laziness, greed, ambition, gluttony, excuse-making, blame-shifting, drunkenness, partiality, injustice, neglecting God's word, lack of faithfulness in church tenants and service. I, I mean, just... We, we want a we thorough uh, review before God. And I find that a man, if he only wants to deal with the one thing that's most troubling to him, like maybe his pornography, that's the most embarrassing thing about his life, and that's the only thing he wants to talk about, he will never deal with the pornography because there's a self-centeredness that lies at the heart of everything he's doing. And unless he's willing to look at that self-centeredness in all of these other areas, he will not change. So this is um, just a template. Um, As I went through it again for this, I thought there's several things I want to fine-tune here that's Everything, everything we do in our messages is a work in progress, right? And, um, and so there's more work to do here. But I, I hope for your, own, for your own lives, because all of us have areas of repentance that are needed. And maybe not to such a depth that the, it will take all of this for correction. 
But for the really thorny things that you're going to deal with in ministry, most of this probably has to be a part of the process. So what I, what I want us to see again and ask ourselves, are we sufficiently using the sufficient word? Just because the word is sufficient doesn't mean the pastor is competent. And that's where we need to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to go into the ministry. I forgot to know all this stuff. Well, I tell you what, um, you'll learn on the job. But more importantly, you need to redeem the time now. I talk with seminary guys who spend inordinate times on video games, social media, blogging about all the latest issues out there and finding out what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention or what's going on over here. And they're right at the, right at the, uh, the cusp of all of that. While their ministry training that they can do on their own in these areas is just being um, neglected. There are books you can read on every one of these topics. There are workshops you can watch online. There are counseling resources. There are all kinds of things to help us become equipped for every good work. And that's what we must become. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this living book, for your living word, the Lord Jesus. And I thank you for the doctrine you give us, for the way you reprove us to bring us back to yourself and the way you teach us how to correct and how to disciple to righteousness. Lord, I pray for these men. They're going into an increasingly difficult, thorny world. And Lord, they must become masters at using your word to equip others for every good work. And I pray that you would work in their own lives, work in all of us, and make us more like your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.